Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Story Smack. This is Story Smack, a podcast about stories and storytellers in the world of pop culture. My name is A. Kovacs, audiobook narrator and founding partner at Empty Set Entertainment. And my name is Scott Sigler, New York Times bestselling novelist, and I exist simultaneously in many universes because there can only be one of me. This week, we went to the theater to watch Into the Spider-Verse because people we know who love movies said we had to see it in the theater. Yes. Yeah, I'm glad we did. Uh, What a bonkers film it was. It was crazy. (laughs) Into the Spider-Verse is an animated Marvel film. Oh, correction. A Golden Globe and Critics' Choice award-winning Whoa, whoa. I didn't know the Critics' Choice bit. Holy Mm -hmm. cats. It recently won the Golden Globe and uh, for Best Animated Feature and the Critics' Choice Award for Best Animated Feature. And this is only the third time since the animated feature category was introduced in 2007 to the Golden Globes that it wasn't awarded to a film from Disney or Pixar. What are the other two? How to Train Your Dragon 2 Mm -hmm. in 2014 Mm -hmm. and The Adventures of Tintin in 2011. Don't even get started with How to Train Your Dragon 2. I won't see part two. I won't do it. Why not? Because... (laughs) Because part one made me cry. The big eyed dragon and all the tragedy that went on. And I will not have my manliness battered again with two, which I'm sure will also make me cry. I won't do it. I mean, you know, though, that part three is coming out soon, right? Oh, Lord. I may have to watch part two then. But uh, I'm pretty sure. I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure your manliness will survive it. Let's talk about a film that did not make me cry. Uh, We're going to talk about Into the Spider-Verse. More than any other comic adaptation, animated or live, more than anything I've seen before, uh, Verse really felt like a comic book. From the thought bubbles to the anxiety lines rating off characters' heads, the motion lines, uh, the way things move, the dotted out backgrounds. This is the closest thing I've seen to the four color comics I loved as a kid. And it was kind of launched into, yeah, made the comics become real. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, I think I've discussed it before on the show, but I never really got into comic books as a kid, mm-hmm. mostly bef- because I prefer much denser info in my stories. Okay. Uh, some people might say talk too much. Mm-hmm. Is the flip side of that coin. Some. But I agree because this movie works so well because it's so much like a moving living comic mm-hmm. book. Uh, I can see that in a movie, you get a lot much, uh, quite a bit more dialogue than you do in a comic book, but other, and you know, there weren't really dialogue bubbles of any sort. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, very, very comic-y and I loved it. And even though I love the Marvel live action movies quite mm-hmm. a lot, this was definitely different. Yeah, it was. This was really a comic book come to life, but still truly a comic book, Mm -hmm. not realistic portrayal with human actors. Those are different things, but also can be really, really good. The four color dots of background images were really very cool. And that's not not something that you really see in a live action. I was going to talk about those. Those have a name. Do you know what they're called? Four color dots. They're called Ben Day dots. I looked it up on Wikipedia. Uh, they, this name for the Ben Day process, uh, it's called the Ben Day process, excuse me, named after illustrator printer, Benjamin Henry Day. It's a photo engraving technique dating back to 1879. Cool. So depending on the effect 
color and optical illusion needed, small color dots are, are closely spaced, widely spaced, or overlapping. And this goes back to what they could do with printing presses and newsprint. Sure. Newsprint is what comics were printed on when I was a kid. They might, maybe they still are, I'm not sure, but newsprint has a bleed factor. So you have to be very careful with what dot you put down because it radiates out at a certain oh, diameter. Oh, right, right, sure. And then that makes different colors. That, and it, depending on how big or small the dots are, that's uh, what you get. So magenta dots, for example, are widely spaced to create pink. Comic books of the 50s and 60s use Ben Gay dots, Ben Day, not Ben, ben Gay dots, Day Ben Day dots. dots, in the four color process, cyan, magenta, yellow, and black, so that they could inexpensively create shading in secondary colors, such as green, purple, orange, etc., and flesh tones on the cheap paper on which they were printed. Now, the four process colors are, of course, where the term four-color comics came from. And another comic book flair in this movie I noticed was called the Kirby Crackle. Do you know what the Kirby Crackle is? Tell me. The Kirby Crackle, that's another artistic convention in comic books where you use a field of black, what they call pseudo-fractal images, to represent negative space around unspecified kinds of energy. So all the energy blasts you see people shooting, mental beams, you know, uh, Professor X, etc. Kirby Crackles typically used in illustrations of explosion smoke, the blast from ray guns, cosmic energy, or other outer space phenomena. So you're talking about that sort of vibrating fuzz that are around all the energy yes, blasts. exactly. That's oh. how you know it's an energy blast. It's got the Kirby Crackle on it. And which is interesting because where live action movies work hard to make superpowers look real mm -hmm. in this universe, Into the Spider-Verse instead embrace the classic comic elements. Exactly. They, and they didn't have to put those things in, but by putting things in that were originally part of the limitation of printing onto newsprint, everybody got used to seeing those things instead of getting rid of them because they weren't necessary, said, well, this is how comics feel, so we're going to use these things intentionally. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I love that. I mean, because certainly that's not true in the movie. That's not, they don't print that on newsprint, right? And Correct. So it's lovely Correct. that this artifact kind of, of the technological lim limitations mm -hmm. back in the day made it into this hugely groundbreaking um movie yeah. with groundbreaking processes and stuff to make all this, this, uh, uh th these cells in this art. And using those limitations is what makes it feel like a comic book. So it's a, yeah. it's a full circle kind of a thing. Interesting. And also uh, moving on, there were so many spider persons in this, which I totally loved. Uh, I'm not really up on all the variations in the same way. Who can be? There are a million permutations of Spider-Man. But they all looked so cool. Mm -hmm. We should spoiler alert. Yes. Uh, we are going to be talking about elements of the movie that will spoil the great surprises in there. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't watched Into the Spider-Verse yet, pause this, watch it in a theater if you can. Yes, in a theater. And then come back. And uh, you have been warned. But don't lose your place <laughs> in this podcast because we got lots to talk about. So the many spider persons. Let's get back to that. Mm -hmm. You had the traditional Spider-Man in red and blue mm -hmm. that everybody knows. The one even I grew I up knew, on. Right? Mm -hmm. You have the mid, mid, middle life crisis version of yeah, Spider-Man yeah. in red and blue and gray sweatpants. Of course, with a gut. <laughs> with a gut, yeah. He did get a whole bunch of pot shots. That's one, one tiny complaint I have about that. He got a whole bunch of pot shots about that. But, uh, and then you also had Miles Morales's killer red yes. and black costume. Yes, that might be my favorite part of the movie, strangely, all the ah. cool stuff in there. I've been out of the comic books long enough that I, I haven't seen that costume before, and I don't know if that costume was made just for the movie or if it's coming from the Miles Morales era of Spider-Man, but the costume was just killer. It was so well designed. Yeah, there was also the noir Spider-Man. Yes, I might want to get into that. I've been out of Spider-Man for a while. I just bought uh, the full collection of Venom uh, in one big hardbound thing, and mm -hmm. I've been reading that, and I love that. Um, 
so it's kind of getting back into comic books a little, but uh, we're putting out a book called Kissy Man and the Gentleman later this oh, year. Oh, right, which is also noir. Yeah, yeah it's, it's noir. It's post-World War II, two-fisted, dark, shadowy action. Yeah. So looking at noir Spider-Man, because the first time I looked at noir Spider-Man, I saw it on a comic cover, and I'm- You were like, nope. Sometimes I'm a dick. Sometimes I'm a, I'm a no. judgmental, petty, bitter, small, I mean, judgmental. we all are, let's be fair. But I look at it, I'm like, can't you guys just tell a story with goddamn regular Superman? What's wrong with you? Spider-Man. So, Spider-Man, exactly. Um, and there's a Superman multiverse too. So all kinds is there of shit a noir on. Superman? I'm sure there is. But once I saw noir Spider-Man on the screen in that comic book context, I was like, uh, yeah, I might get into that two-fisted tail. And you know, it's interesting because you told me um, that uh, that Spider-Man is true, is real. Um, so I know we had... Oh, I do want to mention Spider-Woman, right? You mean there's an actual comic book for Noir Spider-Man? Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's, didn't yes, you say correct. that? Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And we had Gwen Stacy, who's Spider-Woman, yes. uh, awesome. and the anime Spider-Man, which was so adorable. Come Very on. Cute. <laughs> and And, uh, and then, oh, geez, there was Peter Porker as Spider-Ham. And, uh, wait, okay. So if Noir Spider-Man was real. Yeah. Was Peter Porker real or did they make that up? Did they make anything up for the movie? No, all of these characters are actual, uh, actually midlife crisis Spider-Man. Might not be. Might not be that real. And also the main Spider-Man who's in a world where they sell a bunch of Spider-Man merch, they kind of wrote that in as far as I know. But Peter Porker. Peter Porker. Peter Porker, on. the amazing Spider-Ham, who's a real comic book character. He came out in the 80s and may have begun, may have begun my absolute utter disgust with, are you, because that was a serious, serious Spider-Man. I read all five titles that were out in like 83, 84. I was reading them all. And then Spider-Ham comes out and I'm like, the, the hell is this bullshit? Are you kidding Did me Did you read this? it? You read it. I may have read one just right. to see what I was missing. My friends loved it, but no. I Here's the it. thing. I'm just going to say. So, yeah, I get that people love their fandoms mm-hmm. and they have super great, lovely memories of the things that they loved as children. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've all heard the, gosh, you're ruining my childhood by changing this up rhetoric on the Internet, right? Yes. Are you crazy? Are all you people out of your minds? There was a comic book of this well-loved character, Spider-Man, uh-huh. that was a porky pig version. <laughs> and you were telling me that there can't be a girl Ghostbuster? Screw that bullshit. Well, There's a pig who was Spider-Man. Yes, well, that which had various levels of, of popularity. Um, but you can't forget that this is a real comic book because Marvel is a company that is in business to make money. The more stuff they print, the more stuff you buy, the more toys you buy, the more money they make. If they could put a Spider-Man logo on a rhino's ass and sell copies of that as rhino ass Spider-Man, they would, that would be a title that would be out every month. Okay. Well, first of all, let's hope that they don't do that. But second of all, they do better just to make the whole rhino. Well, Miles, the Miles Morales thing. Way I back, would love to see a rhino in a Spider-Man <laughs> that costume. That would be cool. The whole Miles Morales thing and a lot of the, the bifurcation of the Spider-Man titles caused its own, each one of these iterations causes a lot of a lot of conflict when it comes out. And I've learned a lot lately by the new, the latest Star Wars movie, which was The Last Jedi. Is that right? Mm, the I last, think the latest one was Solo, but I think you're talking about The Last the, Jedi. The Last Jedi. I didn't like The Last Jedi. And I come out of The Last Jedi realizing, okay, now I get it. These movies aren't being made 
for middle-aged guys who grew up mm-hmm. on it, this is a new thing and they're tailoring it to a new audience because they, ha- they have to sell stuff. So right. all the and Spider-Man d- stuff is, is along the same. Every yeah, now and then really they got to revitalize it. And Peter Porker, the amazing Spider-Ham <laughs> is not for me. I'm never going to buy that book. Uh, Although the more you say his full title, well, yeah, I, the more I into it. I, I feel like that definitely elevates him though. Like uh, to say Peter Porker, comma, the amazing Spider-Ham. Yes. Every time definitely elevates it in my estimation. Uh, played, played by John Mulaney and voiced by John Mulaney oh, in the movie, who, yes, is who is the best voice yeah, he's in the whole thing. And I, I don't want to overlook the bad guys in this either. Fair, yeah. So I have, again, I've not been up on Spider-Man for a while, so I don't know if Dr. Octopus is a woman in the comic books in one of these permutations universes, but the Doc Ock was awesome. She was great. She was, great. She yeah. was a total sociopath. They played her up like when you first see her, you're like, oh, she is this she's a scientist. Maybe she's a little distant, but no, she's literally looking at human beings as just lab specimens, pieces of meat to be disposed of at, at her will. And the crazy flowing costume of Doc mm-hmm. Ock, that's probably the, I mean, I love Spider-Man, the original movie version of Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, I thought it was one of the best superhero movies ever made. And that Doc Ock was amazing. This Doc Ock was equally cool to me, even though it was all animated. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. I, as I've already said in this episode, and I've said before, I am not a big uh, comic book person. Mm -hmm. Um, But I loved that there were heroes that were totally comic book heroes. There were villains that were totally comic book villains. And then there were villains who weren't really comic book villains. They were very flawed humans. Uh, Uncle Aaron is is great, right? He's a true comic book villain, but mm-hmm. he's also uh, there's a human side to him in that in this movie that yes. is that's a big struggle. And uh, and I don't know. I'll, I'll be perfectly frank and say I don't know if there's a lot of that that goes on in the actual comic books because I I wasn't a big reader, but I I loved that. I loved that he had all the confidence in the world in his super villain role yeah, and so much struggle in his person role. This is, I just learned about this while researching it. The comics code authority, I think it's called uh, in comic books up to 2001, there was a little white uh, logo. The comics code authority logo was on the cover of comic books. And that was a way that comic books, the industry self-policed itself for content to avoid federal regulation about what stories they could and couldn't tell. And that sounds archaic, now and even in 2001 it's such a but this started in the 50s so red scare era and you know people right. worried about traditional family values like back when they were not rhetoric but there was like this religious gist about the country so to speak so they came up with this they came up with this code and the central element of this code what i learned on the internet today was you couldn't have villains who were sympathetic you couldn't have a villain like Uncle Aaron, who is a bad guy and is a killer and is yep. a reprehensible human being, also loves his nephew, wish he hadn't entered into this life, and has elements that make you feel for him, even though he's a killer. So you can't have a complex you, Back villain. then you couldn't. You could couldn't. you have a complex hero? You could have a complex hero and a vigilante the, hero, I think. Because like, the reason I ask that is, of course, like uh, so many... So often, you know, Spider-Man doesn't kill, you know, like Correct. those things. So, so that would be antithetical to heroism, even though he gets the bad guys all the time. And I'm, I'm not sure. And Daredevil that, is like that too. Daredevil's a, a classic. That was a, in the eighties, that was a major trope of comic books is heroes don't kill. And then you had your, 
the people that blurred the lines, you had Punisher was one of the big ones. And I'm not as familiar with the DC universe. And is Punisher considered a vigilante hero? Yes, he's a vigilante hero. Yeah. And then, of course, if you go back any of the stories where Captain America was back in World War II, he's slaughtering Nazis left and right. Absolutely. Gun, gunning people yeah. down. Yeah. But that's war and that's different. And he's a hero. Right. Right. So, and, and, you know, it's interesting to me um, because all of my my hero knowledge and my comics knowledge is, except for now, I am reading Venom because I really I went into Venom, the movie we saw together, mm-hmm. literally knowing that that was a black Spider-Man costume. Yes. And that's kind of it. Yep. And you can tell by a smile with the teeth that he might not be a good guy, mm-hmm. but that's all I really knew going in and to learn that he might not be human. And it, it, it's symbiotic and all that stuff, which is so some, something you knew so ingrained. Mm-hmm. Like we had completely different experiences. And for the first time, I'm 47 years old. And I was like, I would like to read Venom, the comic book. Yeah. And I still do that. Yeah. And you were like, what do you mean? Of course you can. I've what do you mean? A, can you still the, do it? I've got all of these right over here. <laughs> well, and, but like, this is how little I, I knew. Like, I, can I still read it? And you're like, what do you mean still read it? Of course you can still read it. I'm yeah. like, well, where do you get a comic book? Because to me, unless you tagged and bagged and boarded them, mm-hmm. they are super fragile physical things. Mm-hmm. So you were like, uh, one second. <laughs> and then you went and got your hardbound cup. You're like, if you really want to read them, here they are. Did we, we didn't do a uh, story snack on Venom, did we? I don't think I don't that think we, we did. did. Yeah. <laughs> terrible movie that I loved. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I really did. And so what was fascinating for me is you, I think, loved it because you knew so much about Venom yeah. that you could piece together, you know, the 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 things that you loved in the movie that you were watching. Mm-hmm. And I loved it because I knew nothing at all about Venom. And so this idea of this incredibly good looking man, essentially being filthy and talking to himself in public in New York City for two hours and not getting arrested or shot, but he kind of gets into it. You know, like that was fascinating for me. Mm-hmm. It was exactly the opposite. And so all of a sudden, here I am, 47 years old, getting into reading comic books. Cool. Very cool. Very cool. I enjoyed <laughs> so, it. So, um, hey, do yeah. you happen to have your movie announcer voice, Andy? I do. <laughs> Will you tell us the official plot to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? Miles Morales is a teen from Brooklyn struggling with his own issues as he adjusts to a new school. On top of that, he must carry the mantle of being Spider-Man as he meets various different versions of the iconic superhero in different forms from different dimensions across the universe. <laughs> so uh, I understand that you are not actually a fan of multiverse stories. No, I'm, I'm really not. And I started out, my dislike for it was Marvel. I've been a Marvel boy for as long as I can friggin' remember, basically. Um, and Secret Wars, the original Secret Wars, where they all the characters were brought together and beamed off to a war planet where they fought each other, and it did so many things to the timelines. Now, I'm sure the timelines had done all kinds of weird shit before I got into it, but sure. I was into it. I knew what was going on with Spider-Man, et cetera, and that started to get me off track. I'm like, this, but you can't tell an honest story if I can kill Spider-Man here. Oops, no, that's an extra dimensional Spider-Man. The real Spider-Man now gets beamed back into his place. Yeah, you are not, you are, and, and a, that's an ethic that has informed all of your professional yeah, writing, that correct. dead is dead. Dead, in my world, in my universe, dead is dead. There aren't alternate worlds, there aren't alternate dimensions. I don't kill the character of A and then, oops, guess what? She just was in a hell mouth for a little while and now she's back. <laughs> hell mouth? <laughs> so, so what did you think of about the multiverse in this movie? Well, believe it or not, I liked it. I thought that the screenwriters, Phil Lord and Rodney Rothman, put together a cool story, a fan-centric story, and it's easy 
anybody can write a multiverse story. I'm not, I'm not maligning people who write them. I'm not maligning the, like the time travel, the multiverse, et cetera. But literally there's, it's, it's what uh, author David Brin calls playing tennis with the nets down. You can just do anything you uh-huh. want, make it up mm-hmm. as you go along. And you can, if, once you've established multiverses, you can fix anything, mm-hmm. do this, fix it, boom. But they actually wrote a, I mean, they clearly are fans of the genre. I'm sure they had a lot of help from the Marvel people and the historians, but they put together a, a storyline that made sense. It was a great way to tie all the different Spider-Man versions in. Uh, and since, since it was a comic book movie, I have kind of gotten used to rolling with the punches in comic movies. I'm much less critical of a comic book movie because it goes back to that Star Wars thing. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Like yeah. when, when people started bitching about uh-huh. um, The Last Jedi, and I, I hated it. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And then we said, well, let's just go back and watch the original Star Wars. Oh, my goodness. And see, because, you know, in, in right. my in my, Mine too. my late 40s brain, that's a perfect fucking movie. Oh, It's fucking, yeah. fl- like, it started well, everything. And then we went back and watched it. But that's true. That part is true. Like, we went, and then I'll let you, you okay. reveal, but, when, but we went, we watched it, both of us going in with, like, this is a, is one of the very few perfect movies. And here's the thing. It's confirmed over and over and over and over again in in the real world. It is it lands on tons of um you know, must-see movie lists, the top oh, yeah. 100 lists over and over and over and over again. It obviously spawned an entire industry. Mm-hmm. And it all obviously all goes back to that and the story behind it where they had so much work just to get anybody to believe them. There's there's all this uh, pop culture around that movie, mm-hmm. but we went to see it this summer and it's a lighthearted PG 
romper. It's yeah, just made it's, up. It's, it's just a fun. Yeah. It's a fun movie, and there's a lot of mythos that is drawn from it. But if you were, if you were to take Star Wars and strip it away from the Star Wars universe and give it all new names and call the Force something else, I think as adults we would watch and go, oh, it's yeah, it's okay. But I mean, it, there's so many there's so many plot holes. There's so many problems with it, which we don't care about because we grew up with it and it was great when we watched it. Exactly. And it, that has it has aged well. Exactly. And I think you know we I've also mentioned on this uh, show or maybe the Friday Fix about having having the start the quote unquote Star Wars discussion with my nephews when they right, were right, Star right. Wars viewing age, meaning they were the same age as I was when Empire came out. Mm-hmm. And of course I am not that age anymore. And I was like, well you, you guys showed have them to the see prequels. The, you have to see Yeah. So we watched we watched one of the uh, four or five or six. I want to say maybe we watched five six maybe. And then we went back and was like, cool. Okay, you guys, we need to watch the real movies. Mm-hmm. And they were bored out of their minds. The special effects were terrible. The dialogue is ludicrous. There's no <laughs> romantic investment between Han, I mean, uh, Luke and Leia that they see all along. Now, whether or not they knew, they were young enough that I don't think they would have known that they were siblings before it came out in the film. Uh, spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. Um, but they knew it right away. They were like, why does she even like him? It's fucking like, I mean, they didn't say fucking clueless, but that's what they meant, you know? And so when we watched it this summer, I was like, wow, that is kind of terrible. And just to clarify, you, you, you grew up on four, five and six. They started with one, two, three. Oh, sorry. Right, right. I got that mixed up and I made them watch four, five and six when we were done. Star Wars is, you know, I, I may get hate, hate messages for this. Star Wars is a kid's movie. It is. It's a kid. It's a movie for kids. It's a movie for preteens and teens. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. You can enjoy, I read a lot of YA fiction. It's mm-hmm. clearly written for a younger audience. It, they're all sometimes, they're great storytelling, so I don't give a shit. But Star Wars is written for that audience. And the Spider-Man too is also, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not meant to win critical acclaim from a serious 50-year-old movie critic. Uh, but I'm curious, what did, what did you think of uh, Into the Verse? I really, really liked Into the Spider-Verse. It is, there's a whole bunch of things that are important to me that are, that were in that movie that I didn't think at all about until I was preparing for this podcast. Okay. Which means to me that that they those things were done very well. And there's a whole bunch of them. There's uh there's little things like we only know Miles Morales's verse. Mm-hmm. We only ever we see a little bit of the other people coming and going but like the other spiders coming and going from their verses. Right. But it's very little. It's just like the wormhole that the TARDIS goes through in Doctor Who. That's it. Right. And uh, his universe, even though it's a, it's, it's animated, was representative of his life, right? He didn't live in this. He didn't live in the Friends version of Brooklyn. He lived in a little space with a little, you know, he had to go to this big academy, which was super imposing that he had to go to every week because his dad wanted to make him a better, you know, sure. give him better opportunities opportunity. and stuff. And that looked just like a dorm room. Like all of that stuff is exactly what this young kid would experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, which is great. You know, there's no, nothing, you know, like Central Perk and, and, and the friend's apartment didn't make any sense. People just rolled with it. That didn't happen in this movie. I mm-hmm. loved that. I loved that there were a billion types of people in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um I loved, uh, and, and it's just part of what it is. It's not, oh, hey, here's our token black kid and here's our token, uh, you yes. know, ch- 
child and here's our token which, old person. Which I'm a huge fan stuff. of. Normalizing diversity. That's just it. Just do and not, it. Not like, hey, look at our cool diverse character. Aren't we great? Right, just, exactly. Miles just is. You Miles know? just is, but so is the, the anime girl. She yep. just is. <laughs> which was trippy, uh, but yeah. You know, Gwen Stacy just totally has Gwen Stacy's experience, right? Not is she uh, a better spider than somebody else, you know, which, which is cool. also pointing cool. shit out, you know, right. pointing the she's non-normalizing. Girl power, the best spider person there ever could be. And she's going to show up all the guys. We didn't get that in this movie. Well, we don't. Yeah. And we don't need it. Right. And that's why. So I loved that a lot. I, I am. A, I am and always have been a fat chick, right? I think we could have done with a few less fat jokes for fat Spider-Man because all the kids who are going to see this kid's movie go home thinking, cool, everybody's diverse and it's okay to pick on fat old people. And I know that's tiny. It's a tiny minor complaint. But if I had a set like a nine-year-old, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, because that was the pot shot. That was the only pot shot I can I noticed, and I think I noticed it because it happened. They almost, a handful from of that times. perspective, it almost would have been better off. Because what they're doing is showing, like, yeah, now he's a middle aged guy. He's uh-huh. got a punch. He's he's let himself go. When superheroes, male and female, are just always just perfect physical specimens ripped. Maybe they could have done it better if they made him bald. Like he's sp- either Peter that Parker's or make balding. him make him make him portly and and make the the jabs there too and you and you like and add one line that says like if you're not doing superhero stuff every day like think about the last time you went to the gym like think about the time you know like there's a way to kind of i'm not saying you can't make a fat joke don't get me wrong i like a fat joke but for me like that it was weird to notice because there's no payoff for it he doesn't he doesn't get fit in the end. He's still like, he doesn't get the girl well, back in the end. We, he doesn't we get hope any he of does. that. We hope he gets the girl back in the end. Right. But he doesn't at the end of the movie. Right. So a lot of times I feel like those, those sort of, I'll call them pot shots for lack of a better word. Cause I, I don't mean to make this a very big deal. It's not a very big deal in the movie, but it's mm-hmm. there. And I noticed it. Um, if, if, if you had those pot shots at the end of the movie and he has this moment where he takes off the sweatpants and is like, got to get back in the suit or whatever. There's a point to having done that other than to call him fat and old. That's super interesting. I, I wonder if that's uh, a little obliviousness in the part of, of the middle, largely middle-aged people who put this thing out because Maybe. I completely identified with middle-aged Peter Parker. Sure. Cause I've been an athlete my whole life. And I, when I was in college, I wrestled at a very lightweight, 106 pounds. I literally looked like a comic book character, just like no fat on me whatsoever. Mm. And now I don't look like that 50 pounds later. I don't look like that anymore. So like middle-aged Peter, middle-aged Peter with his little bit of glaze there yeah. was my guy. I'm like, yeah, dog, what's up? But what's it, up? right, exactly. But all of that stuff is, I, th- I, I'm not saying they shouldn't say it. I'm saying that it should have had more of a point than just the background noise that pot shots for fat people are okay. okay. Yeah. Right. But I agree with you, like a little bit of stubble maybe, or maybe a little bit of baldingness or anybody else having had any other flaw. So they were human too. You didn't. And that was interesting. There weren't like miles. Basically his only flaw was he had difficulty telling his dad the truth, right? right? Telling his parents the truth. Gwen had no flaws that I can make out. Peter Porker's perfect. He's absolutely. I'm sorry, who? Peter Porker, the amazing spider ham. (laughs) He's, he's perfect. Uh, Kawhi, uh, Penny, Penny Parker. Uh Uh-huh. Penny P-E-N-I, I learned. Penny Parker doesn't have any flaws whatsoever. 
And, and she's missing her dad. She's missing. Well, she's got tragedies happen to her. Yeah. She has no yeah, personal yeah. flaws. True, and true. noir Spider-Man, we didn't get to see enough of him. Right. So that would have been a little bit, not but, impossible. They could have written that but in again, there a little bit. But again, you know, like I started this little segment by saying, I've been a fat chick my whole life. I am not platforming here. It's it's subtle enough that it was just surprising as all. Right. So we're now, I, now I feel like we've spent too much time on it because the movie's so great. It's a great, in, in, in one of the, as we said, one of the key things about this was the lights out animation. By the way, Sony Pictures has applied for a patent for the animation technology for this. Oh, cool. So that's kind of neat. But it wasn't cheap. It cost, this movie cost $90 million to make. Oh, Lord. That is pricey. But think about this. Hulk Ragnarok, that budget was $180 million, And Avenger 3's budget was listed at $316 to $400 million. So now we're looking at a phenomenal movie in Into the Verse that is half or more as much as a movie from the same milieu, the same universe, which begs a very important question. Into the Verse was kind of the, the first movie of its kind. Will the style of animated movies that are so accurate to the comic books largely replace live action movies? Uh, you mean for comic books? Well, like we've got the Avengers as a comic book, but we have a live action Avengers movie. And will we start to see those go away in favor of these cheaper, more comic booky animated movies? Yeah, sure. What I'm asking is, are you talking about just for comic book movies now that yes. we sort of understand I'm, that yes, milieu? Focusing on that, yes. I mean, I guess I, I cannot. I just, I just can't imagine that. But right. I guess it would depend on one thing, which is how much money. It's, it's always about money. Yeah. Right now, uh, I'm not sure how long Into the Verse has been out, but it's at 305 million international and domestic, according to the numbers.com. Uh, Avengers Infinity War, on the other hand, 2 billion and counting. Well, and I think some of that is definitely you know, things that they control themselves, right? Like number of screens and all that other stuff. And animated movies simply do not screen on as many screens as they never do. Okay. So, so even if it's a Disney movie, even if it's Snow White, mm -hmm. it's just, and they re-release it, it just doesn't go to as many screens. as. So I don't know that th these are apples to apples comparisons okay. unless we know how many screens there are. Because you said the other thing too, which is this Into the Spider-Verse has not been out as long as Avengers. Right. But that said, I don't think so. I, I hope we see a lot more of this. Mm -hmm. um, but I also know a lot of adults who simply won't go to an animated right. movie. Right. That's not for them. That's not their, you know, that's not where they're spending their time. And I don't, necessarily understand it but i am it like i've never oh this is gonna get me so much hate mail i've never seen spirited away i i've never seen totoro like there's a million animated things that i'm just not into we're not into that sphere of nerd so just like you were saying earlier i don't think they're gonna leave money on the table i think they're gonna continue to do sure both but i hope we get more of this for sure well we'll definitely get more because this was the first one and new technology is expensive to develop but once it's in place incremental improvements don't cost that much and using the same technique, we can easily see a movie exactly like this in five years costing 45 million once they've got all that sure, tech sure. and space. And there's, there's no limit to what, what special effects they can do. You don't have to. And the biggest thing with one of these is we're now on my, am I in my fourth live action Spider-Man or my third live action, fourth, fourth, I fourth think, live yeah. action Spider-Man since they, Oh, you mean the, the actual thing. actor, the actual actor, yeah, yeah, because actors, age out of their roles. And For we sure. don't know who the next Iron Man will be, but that's a, that's a lot of iron boots to fill because Robert Downey's arguably the one who kind of made, he's the yeah. anchor of this whole resurgence is him, his power as an actor. And, uh, 
Stanley recently died, Mm -hmm. RIP. And uh, there's a, he actually said, Iron Man, like he said, Robert Downey Jr. was perfect for Iron Man. Yeah. Like it has been waiting all this time for you or something like oh, that yeah. was the it's, quote. It, and you're like, ridiculous. well. It's ridiculous. How do you, how and, do you recrown Iron Man and now? Trying to, ca- try, trying to top Chris Evans as Captain America, which yeah. is absolutely sensational. As we've seen, we can plug and play with Spider-Man, but these other big issues, they're not the same. Right. However, if it's an animated film, you get to completely control the look and feel. Absolutely. And yeah. you may have to replace a voice. In 30 years, in 40 years, but you could even keep the same voice. But remember, you, well, I mean, a voice would age, right? So, so you can't play Miles Morales. Your voice right. is too deep for that. Okay. That said, you're listening. I don't know which book you're listening to now, but the, the female narrator sounds exactly like Sigourney oh, Weaver. Oh, Aliens Out of the Shadows? And it's, a, it's an Aliens movie. And I listen to some of it. She looks great. sounds so I've, much like Sigourney Weaver. I looked it up Weaver. not once. I looked it up twice. Still look, not Sigourney I, Weaver though, right? No, it's not Sigourney. Yeah. I, mean, I don't remember the actress's name, but she has such a perfect impression of Sigourney Weaver. You're like, that's Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. And so what I'm, what I'm thinking is okay. you would change up the voice actor, but mm-hmm. you could probably get the voice fairly consistent, maybe. Like the very subtle variations in Muppet voices once Frank Oz exactly died. You still right. know who right. that is. Right, right, All right, right. cool. Cool. Um, so we have raved up this movie, but uh, I told you I let, I let a lot of things go. Mm-hmm. So guess what we do now? Uh, before we move on, I want, you, you mean Jim Henson, Frank Oz oh, yes. alive. <laughs> Frank anybody, Oz is alive? In case anybody stresses out about Shit, that. I lost, I got Frank screwed Oz. on that Deadpool. My yeah. bad. Yeah. But okay. So, uh, I'll, I'll let some things go. I'm trying to be a mature mm-hmm. grown up person, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know what we got to do now? We do it. We, we're, oh. we, you know, what we got to do. Oh, geez. Yeah. Are, are we going to, are these things, 10 things we did not know about into the spider verse? No, this is way better. You're going to like oh. this so much more, so much more. This is something brand new. I call it. Let's nitpick the details that probably don't matter. Oh, and that's better. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, it is. It is. Um, again, let me state, I love the movie. I highly recommend this movie. Highly recommend seeing the theater. So hurry up. That said, a couple of plot issues. Bug me. A sure. lot of plot issues I noticed. A couple of them really bug me. If you guys listening have any comments on these things, please post them in the comments over at scottsigler.com slash spiderverse. That will lead to the comments for this particular episode. First, foremost, where the fuck did that spider come from? We didn't see any arachnid research going on in the super evil secret lair. There were no spiders there. And then the place was completely trashed. No spiders got out. There was no spider research going on that we saw. Where did that one spider come from? That's a good point. It's a good point. Because there was a ton of research going on. Mm-hmm. And that's why they went down into the... But it was the, in, interdimensional it, research, Exactly, right? yeah. To go bring back... Yeah, you're right. I, I did not think about that at all until you just brought it up. You ruin all the good things for I me. I do. That's what I do. I ruin uh, things. But I guess I have no idea. And... It, it, and it's mimicking the original Spider-Man. So you might think, oh, you, you yeah, and Homer, maybe it was a radio. You and Homer saying, it's yeah. just a radio spider. No, it had a number on it. It had the, the brand of the company on it. So it was a test subject. It's from the same company that made the crazy interdimensional thing. Oh, look at that. I thought it was like a prototype, not actual spider, not a test I subject. I'm still not. Either way, somebody made it. That was a research. It was branded by the same company's brand. So they were working on spiders. Is that something that was left in the cutting room floor, I wonder? Maybe. Yeah, you got to wonder. Um, Also, now I have to wonder if there's a continuity editor on an animated movie. I'm sure there is, and I feel he or she was asleep on the job. Oh, well. That's what I feel. 
that's an enormous task. And if depending on your other nitpicks, they Should might have been getting coffee. Busted into Marvel's office, Marvel's head office, Kevin Feige, whatever his name is, been like, this has got, this cannot stand. This like, cannot stand, sir. I feel like that might be overthinking it just a tiny bit. Do you have any other nitpicks? Uh, nit- I, oh. I, I get a couple. I okay. get a couple. Um, Miles Morales' spider sense goes off when he meets all the other spider people, right? That whole... Uh, yeah, once he... Once he's like me. It happens right away when he first meets the soon-to-be-deceased Spider-Man. Right off the bat. So why, when he goes to school and he's having his little romantic dalliance with Gwen Stacy, why doesn't Spider-Sense go off? She's Spider-Woman. Has he already met Spider-Man by then? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean... I, I, I know Hasn't this he? is, I, I yeah. don't recall, but I will say this. Uh, he may not have met Spider-Man. Yes, he ha- Now I'm, now I'm not being a good continuity editor. I'm not entirely sure now. <sighs> I'm going to have your badge no, and your gun. Yes. Doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter because he's got his spider powers. He gets his hand well, stuck in her hair. Well, what I'm thinking is, yes. And that's a really good point. He does. But, but this is one of those things that is so antithetical to the life he understands that, you know, the mind is a powerful thing. People fuck up their own lives all the time. People fuck up the thing they think they really want because they know they shouldn't have it all the time. This happens to us. So I think Mm -hmm. it's possible that he didn't, I mean, he knows he got bit by a spider, right? We remember that scene where he kind of flicks it off his hand. He's already, he's already, he's too big for his clothes. No, totally. I'm with you, but so the ceilings. But that's what I'm saying. There are things that he knows are happening to him that he isn't reading correctly. Like theoretically, if he is, if he's super astute, he he feels himself get bit by the spider. We have that really funny scene where me and he flips it off his mm-hmm. his hand <laughs> like, meh. Uh, and then he instantly connects that now he has spider fingers and now he's got. But he doesn't do that either. It doesn't, he should connect it. He's a fan of Spider-Man. He's a fan of Spider-Man. Spider-Man merch and books and shit exist in his world. He's read all the comic books. So he, he should know Spider-Man instantly, got bit by a radioactive spider. this is a spider that he, he is becoming that's another, Spider-Man. That's another little loophole, I guess. Those two Either things that, together are, yeah. Or it's just so mind boggling because the idea that there could be more than one Spider-Man is... I guess. Completely foreign to him. Yeah. I will I will bring up another pop culture reference. Okay. There's this book called Nocturnal by Scott Segler. Mm-hmm. Where our two protagonists, our dual protagonists, do this very thing. Their whole world changes. They don't know that Spider-Man exists. Yeah, they don't there's have no a, corollary, they don't have right? Ant- there's no corollary, right. But they go through these wild, completely incomprehensible things that have never happened to them before. Rex right. and Brian both do. Mm-hmm. And it takes Pookie. It t- takes somebody else looking at Brian being like, dude, that is not how people work <laughs> for him to be sure. like, yeah, I think I might just have the flu. I'm so just, I'm going to give you a half a point. Half on that a point? One. Not I mean, that I'm the judge of these I'm things. I'm just a small town pizza lawyer. But I when know. I start sticking to the ceiling after I've been bit by a spider, right. I know something's fucking up. Do you have any other? I just have one more. Oh, I have one, one more. Just one? Yeah. Also, if okay. anybody wants to correct our continuity please, scottsegler.com slash Spider-Verse. Make sure. Did my... you say continuity-ness? Yes. Okay. Yes. This one I had a real problem with. Kingpin smashes the baj- uh, hunchback kingpin. Another <laughs> Crazy hunchback. Crazy hunchback yeah. kingpin who has a head in his sternum. <laughs> 
<laughs> he he uh, kills Spider-Man, the actual Spider-Man, by smashing the bejesus out of him with his giant ham fists, right? He's got fists like giant pigs. Smashes him, kills him. We like see this happen. Porkers? Yeah, like porkers. His okay. giant porker hands. Then at the end, in the big dramatic finish, he uses those same mountainous giant hands on Miles Morales, who's smaller, who is smaller and younger, and he smashes him, and Miles Morales doesn't die. In fact, he shakes that shit off, gets up, and lays down a whoop-ass. That's a huge continuity error in my issue, in my, in my opinion. Huge. Now, yeah. I granted... Miles could have different powers because he was bit by that random spider that nobody seems to remember researching. But still, that's... Maybe Kingpin pulled his punch. Oh, he's got a soft spot for the kid? Maybe he has a soft spot for the kid because he knows that that is not the kid who... That is not the person that killed that destroyed his family. And he did just see his kid come back from another dimension and then get taken away. Although True. Miles was, uh, it's Miles' fault. It's really all Miles' fault. I mean, it's definitely Spider-Man's fault. Miles and I identify. Everything is our fault. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. That doesn't make a ton right. of sense. Well, if you guys uh, have any comments on those nitpicks, put them at scottsegler.com slash Spider-Verse. I would love to read them. I will reply to them. If there's other plot holes you saw, by all means, except don't talk about how Spider-Man can stand on a wall with his shoes on because that's been covered online. Many, many times. We don't need to get into that. We don't need to get into that. Any other nitpicks? Nope. That is enough for now. Although um, I may have some stashed away in an alternate universe. (laughs) I might. Okay. Well, we hope you have enjoyed episode 43 of Story Smack. You can find Scott and me online. Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and Instagram. And his Facebook page is facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. I am at a real girl on Twitter and at a.real.girl on Instagram. You can find us online at facebook.com slash storiesmack and we would love to see your comments over there. We also release an unabridged episode of a serialized novel of Scott's every week. You can get episodes for free every Sunday via iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. Just go to scottsigler.com slash subscribe for links. Right now, we are serializing my novel, Earthcore. We have just released episode number 30, so we're just a bit past the halfway point. So get into it. The best people dig the story. Trust me, I'm an expert. I also love that you say dig it, because tiny spoiler alert. Earthcore is a mining (laughs) company in the novel. So we hope you subscribe so that you can hear Scott's books and more story smack goodness in the future. And until the next episode... We will talk to you all real Real soon. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.